Thank you, Pete, and good morning, everyone. Uh, we're in uh, Luke 5, as Pete's just read for us. Uh, it's well worth having that open in front of you. I think it's page 884 of the Blue Church Bibles. Um, Luke 5, and we're going to see another day in, uh, when the Lord's favour impacts and changes a life forever, this time the leper, and we're going to watch his testimony. And I think through it, it's going to help us, his testimony is going to help us to see clearly uh, our own status before God. And I think that's going to be both, I hope that's going to be both uh, incredibly encouraging for us, uh, but also challenging. But it's also going to uh, give us a clear picture of what our God is like, and that is going to be glorious. Uh, so I'm going to pray to that end. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this long-held promise to bring favour to our world that he has delivered, and we thank you that that favour reaches even us. And so we pray, Father, for humble hearts as we hear your word this day. Uh, lead us to trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, my wife, Liz, is a very wise woman uh, and has uh, steered us as a family uh, wisely in so many different ways and me personally in so many different ways. But at least twice, uh, she has uh, led me massively astray in sartorial choices. Um, one of them happened fairly early on in our time here in Warunga. I remember um, we arrived uh, late in a year, and within a week I'd got in the letterbox here a, a letter from Warunga Public School down the road uh, inviting me as the rector of this church to present the St Andrews Library Award uh, to, at Warunga Public School. Uh, that's, I've been doing that sort of for 10 years. COVID had paused for a bit. I'm hoping to get my invitation this year. We're, remains to be seen. Um, but uh, on the, on the uh, even in those 10 years, I'm not quite clear what the award is for, uh, whether the award is for the student who's spent the most time in the library throughout the last year or borrowed the most books or um, I, I, the moment where I'm shaking the hand, I don't get a chance to ask uh, what, what it's for. Um, and I feel like by now I should know. Um, but on the first occasion, I remember asking Liz, my wise wife, um, what, what do you think people wear at an occasion like this? And she said, oh, it'll be casual. Um, why don't you just wear jeans and a t-shirt, something like that, and you'll look like the cool local pastor. Um, so I did. I wore jeans and a t-shirt, and um, I went to the staff room where the official party was gathering, and I knew I was in trouble when the first person I met was the local member at the time, Barry O'Farrell, and he was in a three-piece suit. <laughs> And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's just, he's a politician, he does that sort of thing. But then person after person came into the official party in their, in their best clothes. And that thing felt like it went for about three hours while I sat with my new friend Barry at the front in my jeans and T-shirt. Um, and what made it even worse is near the start of uh, the assembly, uh, the official party and the students, everybody, we all stood and sung uh, the national anthem together. And all the students could see the words of the national anthem on the screen, but it, when you're up on the stage, you can't see the words. So I was going strong in the first verse, but then the panic started when we moved to the second verse. And to my shame, I confess before you, I don't know the second verse of our national anthem. And if, if you're about to cast a stone, let him who is without sin uh, cast that stone. But that was, a, <laughs> that was a, a long, a long second verse, I've got to tell you. Um, 
There is no worse feeling than being somewhere where you feel like a complete imposter, where you don't belong and everything about you makes that clear. I spent those, what felt like three hours thinking, I wonder if the teachers and the parents are thinking, who on earth is that guy? Um, the whole time. Uh, that feeling of being somewhere where you feel like you've got no right to be there, no merit to be there is a, is a horrible one. Uh, let me ask you, when you think about your place in this world, your place in this city, in our suburbs where, where we live, what's the dominant feeling and experience for you? Do you feel like an insider? Or do you feel more like an outsider? I suspect for each of us, depending on different contexts that we operate in, we'll feel differently. Uh, what's your dominant one? Are you an insider or an outsider in this culture? Well, how about, let's zoom in a bit more. Think about this place, this church, Warunga Anglican Church, whether you've been here for years or uh, you're brand new. Are you on the inside here? Uh, or are you more of an outsider? How, how do you feel? And who has a right to be here, do you think? Uh, what's, what sort of person is a Warunga Anglican person? I remember a few weeks ago talking to Mike Forrest, who sometimes leads the band, and he was describing the first week he was here and thinking, why do they all look so weird uh, in terms of what they wear up the front, including my good self? Um, so is there an official dress code? And if you miss it, you're on the outside, or, or what sort of life do you need to have? How sorted out does it need to be? How, how together, how successful to be on the inside, to belong? And when it comes to those sort of questions, how are you going at the moment? Are you, are you on track? You're falling behind? Are you an insider? You're an outsider? Let's go broader. Think about our city again, uh, Sydney. Think about the suburbs we live in. What sort of person's on the inside here, in this city? I suspect more often than not that the inside circles are based on merit. Uh, in different ways. It might be what we've achieved or can achieve, what we're capable of, what we do, what we say of ourselves, this is, this is who I am. Or maybe it's uh, alignment with what people agree with, which keeps changing, but if you can stay aligned, then you're on the inside. Or maybe it's to do with whether you're a clean skin and respectable or whether you're a stuffer. Uh, where are you on that? And I reckon finding yourself on the outer in our culture and in our city here can happen quite suddenly. I mean, this happens even in the, in the schoolyard, but it continues on. Friendship circles can be broken and you were in, but now you're out and you're not sure why you're out, but now, now you're out and it can be instant. And then in the world of public figures, social credibility can be lost in a moment. Uh, this is the era of cancel culture. Uh, this is the era of that harsh judgment where you can literally be cancelled from the community, from society. You don't belong here. Um, it is, as the Australian musician Nick Cave said, cancel culture is mercy's antithesis. Uh, that's the spirit of our age. Once you're out it, there's no way back. Now, I remember another uh, New South Wales politician, a guy by the name of John Brogdon, who was the uh, opposition leader for a period of time. And uh, at the time he was opposition leader, most of it he was soaring in the polls and looked likely to win the next election. But all of that crumbled on one particular night at one event where stupidly he drank too much and then said stupid things and they were reported. And uh, I remember reading an article about that experience for him and he simply said this, everything I wanted and was important to me was gone. Our culture can be merciless. What's clear is who's in, what's clear is who's out, what's completely unclear is how on earth would you get back in 
uh, once you're out. Now, I raise these questions of this feeling of being on the inside or outside because Luke 5 is going to address them directly, but it's going to address them at um, a profound level. Uh, Luke 5, and I hope you've got it open there in front of you, it tells this truth. Whatever standard that we as a church might falsely establish to be on the inside or the outside here, or whatever standard our culture might arbitrarily sort of set up to say, these are the insiders, these are the outsiders, the standard that God uses to say who has a right to be in his presence and who is not allowed to be in his presence is far profoundly higher and more consistent. Uh, Look at this picture from Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. Speaking of where God will dwell in eternity, speaking of his heaven, it says this, nothing impure will ever enter it. That's who's on the inside, the pure. Uh, That standard should humble us, every single one of us, because before God and his holy standard, you and I are rank outsiders. We fall far short. None of us are clean skins. None of us are pure. But what Luke's gospel does is it testifies to the miracle of a God who has come to bring favour and to open the gate again for people like us. Uh, We're going to see the miracle of that through this testimony of this leper. So have a look with me. Look at verse 12 of chapter 5. It's well worth having it open in front of you. And again, this miracle happens in a mundane context. We're told it's just another town, just another day. But on this day, we're going to meet an outsider. Here's the first thing, verse 12, who reveals our true status before God. Verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. He's the outsider, and he is going to reveal our status. Uh, Leprosy was a term that covered all sorts of skin diseases, uh, all of them untreatable, uh, many of them contagious, And some of them, when full-blown, like this man, terminal. But this man has heard, it seems, of Jesus' favour, and he is desperate to receive it, and he seeks Jesus out. Not the other way around. This man seeks Jesus out. And that is no small achievement, because he is an absolute outsider. Uh, God's people, from God's word in the Old Testament, had strict instructions regarding what to do with a man like this, an unclean leper. And uh, they had treatments that they were supposed to undertake. And I use the word treatment loosely because there was no treatment, medically speaking. What there was was a a plan of segregation. Uh, To protect the community, they would push this man outside the camp, outside the city, to, to, to protect the community, but also to indicate the seriousness of being unclean before a God who is holy and is without blemish. Remember, nothing impure enters his gates. Uh, Leviticus 13 in the Old Testament, which deals specifically with what to do with a man like this when he's found to be unclean, he was to do three things. He was to tear his clothes and he was to leave his hair unkempt and he was to cover his face. His whole person was meant to shout, I'm broken, I'm unclean. And and literally that was the case, because if you read Leviticus 13, part of the instructions for such a man is when he lived outside the camp, if anybody ever came close to him, it was meant to be like an alarm system would go off. He was meant to yell out at the top of his voice, unclean, unclean, as a sort of a warning. And his physical uncleanness was actually a symptom of a much bigger problem before God. Such a disease didn't just render a person only physically unclean, but spiritually unclean. He must live alone. He must live away from God's people. But far worse than that, removed from where God dwelled with his people in the camp. 
Leviticus 13 verse 46 says this, he must live outside the camp. God dwells inside the camp. He must live outside it. Now, we need to see what Luke is doing here as he shows us this man and his testimony. Uh, regularly, and we've seen this already in Luke's gospel, uh, the New Testament uses physical sickness uh, as a metaphor for this deeper spiritual sickness. Uh, a disease that doesn't just affect uh, a man like this, it's actually universal. What's being said here is as much about us as it is this man. Here's a man with obvious symptoms of a disease that we actually all suffer from, and that is our spiritual sickness, our, our disconnection from God. Because here's what happens. When we live disconnected from God, when we live estranged from him, a choice we make by living independent of him, when you're disconnected from him, all life gets disconnected. Uh, not just disconnected from God, but even disconnected in our relationships, uh, disconnected with creation, and even disconnected in ourselves, physically, mentally, you name it. And this man is experiencing that. His whole life says, we're not okay. His whole life shouts, unclean, unclean. I am sick and I am powerless to change it. He is desperate for favour. He's showing us our status before God. That's not just him, it's us. But here's the second thing in verse 12. Not only does he show us our status, he asks the question that we should ask if we see ourselves clearly. He sees Jesus for who he is. He's his God, his king, his judge, and so he bows, we're told. But he also sees Jesus for who he said he is, what he has said he has come to do, come to bring favour, and so he desperately asks for it. He asks our question. Do you see it there, verse 12? Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I want my life back. I, I, I want to be clean. I, I want to come back inside the camp, and I know you can do it. Would you, would you do that for me? Uh, what's really clear in verse 12 is he's no, he has no doubt that Jesus is capable of that. That's not his question. His question is, are you willing, Jesus, for someone like me to do that? I've heard of your favour. I've heard your cancelling debts. I've heard you're restoring people. You're welcoming them home, and I need that. But my question, Jesus, to you is, does that favour reach even one like me? This man knows he's broken. He knows he can't fix it. And yet he dares to ask, are you willing to share your favour with me, Jesus? Well, we've seen him revealing our status. We've seen him asking our question. Now look at verse 13. And behold the king who has come to bring his favour and open that gate back up for one like this man. Verse 13. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. I am willing, he said. Uh, Jesus, uh, God on earth with us, he stretches out his arm and he stretches it out in compassion for this broken creature who he made and loves. But more than that, as he stretches out his arm, he's doing what God does all the way through the Old Testament. It's, it's his hand, arm of salvation, of rescue, of restoration for this man. And he does the most remarkable thing. He touches him. Can you imagine that moment for this man? <laughs> So long outside the camp, so long any time someone got even close to him, he would have to shout unclean, stay away, don't touch me. But Jesus has now entered his uncleanness, which of course by Old Testament law would render Jesus unclean too. And that's huge. And we'll come to that in a moment. But Jesus is declaring the words this man longs to hear. Do you see them there? Verse 30, I'm willing, I'm willing. Yes, my favour reaches even someone like you, actually, especially someone like you. 
I'm willing not only to enter your uncleanness like no one else would, but I'm willing to do something about it. And do you see his power, the power of Jesus' favour? It's by his mighty and sovereign word. He simply says this, I am willing, and then verse 13, be clean. And he is. Now, it's at this point you'd think uh, if the marketing department uh, was consulting with Jesus, they would say, now is the time to really ramp up the, the publicity about this because you're doing these amazing things. Why don't we just get the word out? But do you see what Jesus says? He warns him not to speak of it. And instead, verse 14, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, why is Jesus asking him to do that? Why not sing it from the rooftops, which incidentally he does, as we see in the final verses, but why does he tell him to go to the priest? Well, consider for a moment, uh, the moment that this man walked back into the city and walked up to the priest. Can you imagine that moment? If you read the Levitical law and the provisions about what to do with a man like this, they, they beg a huge question because there's two sorts of provisions. There's provisions for the segregation of the unclean. They, they read a bit like a sort of an overly officious OH&S laminated chart. You know, if you find someone like this, here's the steps to do and you've managed the risk. Well done. And the risk management is very simple. Put him outside the camp and have nothing to do with him. Done. And then there's provision for what to do if such a man is clean again, and there's a series of thanksgiving rituals before the Lord. But all of this begs a huge question. How on earth do you get yourself from being unclean to clean? It seems impossible for this terminal leper. There's no provision for it. How on earth do you jump that chasm from unclean to clean? Well, this is why Jesus wants him to go to the priest. This is the testimony, the testimony of Jesus, who not only says I'm willing, but he's able to have us jump that chasm. Do you see what Jesus has done here? He's gone outside the camp himself to this unclean man, and he's touched him, and everything has changed. I mean, the normal equation would work like this. This is why the provisions were there. If a clean person touched this unclean man, they'd both be unclean. But in this case, Jesus, the only one who is truly clean before God, touches this unclean man, and now they're both clean again. How does a person move from unclean to clean? I am the answer to that question, says Jesus. That's why he wants him to go to the priest. And this miracle is, uh, as we'll see as we go on in Luke's gospel, is just a hint of what Jesus had come to do for each of us on a personal level, but also on a global scale for anybody desperate to be clean in God's sight, to be pure enough to enter his gates. Jesus' ministry here is a hint of what he will do on the cross. When, as we heard in our other reading, that once and for all, he goes outside the camp, not just for this man, but for all of us, to wash us clean again by his blood shed for us. You know, every time I read this passage, I find myself giggling at the, the thought of the priest who he's just been minding his own business, doing the priest things that he has to do. And all of a sudden, a clean man walks back into the camp and he's, he's never had to deal with this before. You can almost imagine him sort of looking on the bookshelf for the part of the law where you deal with the person who's clean again. It's never been used. and He's dusting off the, the dust from it and opening it up, trying to remember what to do. Here at last is a man who's jumped the chasm from clean to unclean. Here is testimony that in our world of brokenness and uncleanness that we all suffer from one is one turning all that around. Here is one who can lead us safely through the journey of being unclean in God's sight to actually clean before him. 
And as he wandered into the camp, the priest would have been scratching his head and thinking, how on earth has this happened? And the man would have a one-word answer, Jesus. Now, just as we finish, I want to finish by reflecting together on the implications of this testimony of this leper for uh, how we view ourselves in this world and in this church. And the implications are, I guess, here's the key. The only person that Jesus' ministry is good news for is the person who knows they're unclean and can't change that themselves. I wonder if you were to describe yourself to others in this church in your, by your own merit, uh, would you use that word, I'm unclean? Is that how you would describe yourself? I, mean, I, I doubt that's easy for us. We might admit to a few blemishes here and there, but, but compared to others, not really unclean. We're clean skins. We're respectable. We're North Shore Christians. But the truth is the leper is more us in the mirror than we could possibly imagine. You know, in Luke's gospel, we've just seen last week, you remember the scene, the fishing scene with Simon? We've seen a man a bit more like us, competent, has a job, life organized. But then when he sees the holiness and glory of God in that boat, you remember what he says? Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. That's seeing Jesus clearly and ourselves clearly. Truth is, while we may assess ourselves as clean skins, at best, in God's view, our self-righteousness is like some dodgy paint job on a banged-up car. We are, as Romans 3 says, all sinners and have all fallen short of his glory. The simple charge of the Bible is that before God, we are the ones who are meant to shout, unclean, unclean. But hear Jesus' response for any who would come to him out of need. I am willing. I haven't come for clean skins. I've come for sinners. I've not come for those who presume that they're on the inside by their own merit. I've come for, for those who know they're on the outside with God. And the community he's building, this community is meant to reflect that. This is a community he's building from the outside in, not the other way around. Don't underestimate how radical this community is meant to be in our city in our suburbs. Our city, our culture, does not build communities built on grace, not merit. Not ultimately. We build in crowds. We build crowds in the schoolyard where you have to be a certain type to be in. We build them in our social circles. We build them in our workplaces. We build them in, even in our families, you name it. The reality of the city we live in, and here in 2076, is that we may well find ourselves often on the inside of these crowds and therefore feel comfortable, but uh, there will also be times, and perhaps you feel this acutely at the moment, perhaps if this is you, you need to hear what we have here in Luke 5. You may feel on the outer. Perhaps you feel at present you are not keeping up here or elsewhere. You are not meeting the standard. You are far more banged up than those around you. Truth is, whether you feel on the inner or the outer of the social circles and the, the cliques of our city, if you pursue being on the inside, you will be exhausted by it as you try to keep up. It will feel arbitrary as you wonder, I thought I was in and now the alignment, the norms, what we agree with has changed or it will feel fragile. And then if you find yourself on the outer, very often you wonder, how on earth do I get back in? Such communities are not built on grace but merit and will be exhausted by it and ultimately fail. But the gospel is an invitation 
to a community, this community, that is altogether different, or it's meant to be. Before the living God, who is holy and just, we are all on the outside. Remember, nothing impure enters his gates. But because of his favour, he is building a city from the outside in. He's gone outside the camp to make us clean again. And if you want a picture, just as we finish, if you want a picture of what this community is meant to look like, have, have a look if you've got the passage open there. Jump forward to 529 and you'll see what this community is meant to be like. Not just outsiders, but joyful outsiders. Uh, we meet not a leper, a social leper there, Levi. He's a tax collector and he's met Jesus and received this favour. And what's he doing? He's holding a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a, a large crowd of tax collectors and other sinners are eating with them. There's the outside community of God's favour, and it's just a party. <laughs> why is Jesus with him? Well, this is why he came. But here's the challenge, and we'll finish with this. Here's the challenge. Should we ever presume that we have a right to be at his table, a right to be in his community by our merit, not by our favour? If you look closely in the next verse, after 5 verse 29, 5 verse 30, outside this celebration, there's another group, the Pharisees a religious inner circle, if you like. And this does not make sense to them, this community that Jesus is building. And so they ask in verse 30, why would you eat with sinners, with outsiders? They're incensed by the party. It, nothing about it makes sense to them. It's not their view of God. God is distant and he waits for us to get ourselves sorted out before we can come to him. And it's certainly not their picture of themselves. They are clean skins. This is not their kind of meal or their kind of people. And so what we have here at the end of our passage is two types of people. There are those who know they need Jesus but don't deserve him. Where are they? They're inside, celebrating. And there are those who don't think they need God but they, they deserve him by their merit. Where are they? Outside, grumbling. The community that Jesus is building is only for the first type. Do you see his response to their indignant question? It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. Now let me ask, as we finish, the question I asked you right at the start. This church, do you have a right to be here? Are you the right type? The shock of Jesus' words is those of us who think that in ourselves we are healthy. He's not come for us. He's a doctor. He's not opened a clinic for patient after patient to walk in and say, you know what, I'm fine. Absolutely fine. But for those who know their need before him, those who come to him in that need and say, are you willing to make me clean? He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Let's celebrate. Let's pray together. My Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that his favour reaches even us. We pray that you will take from us any pretense of merit, any pretense of being a clean skin before you. We thank you for Jesus who went outside the camp to make us clean again. In his name we thank you. Amen.